0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Full Frame Podcast. Uh, did you just oh. uh, just uh, take, stop and take it from the top. Okay, okay. You ready? So, Josh, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm... Yeah, I I can't believe how long it was that we had you on the first iteration of the podcast, the Zach and Zach podcast, to talk about Layover, which was, I think, how kind of everybody, at least in my circles, um, started talking about you. Because Layover was this, your feature film that you shot for $6,000, which just, it happened while I was in film school, and it just kind of blew everyone's mind, Um, particularly, you know, all of the articles that you were writing on no film school and all the podcasts that you were kind of going out and talking about it. So that's, you know, where my, um, my familiarity with you and everything that you're trying to do started. But then, um, you did a second film, which came out, uh, when did negative come out? Negative came out in
1: 2017. We shot it in 2016. Okay. Actually, you started shooting in 2015, but we finished it in 2016. And then, there's a whole about a year process before it came
0: out. Gotcha. So people can go um, listen to the old we're gonna post the old uh, episode where you talked about layover with us. so we're gonna post that along with this one. but we're here really to talk about negative, which we had I had been trying to schedule and we had been trying to schedule for since you uh, sent me the link and yeah, it, that's because life happened so right um, well, it's nice because nobody really was interested in talking
1: to me about negative. so that. Yeah, it's nice to have somebody
0: somebody interested. Well, I'm fascinated because you kind of did with along with negative, you did a lot of the same articles and talking about your philosophy in regards to making your feature films. You did a lot of that uh, press work, like you did layover. Um, It just happened to have a little bigger budget. Um, Yeah, can you talk? Can we just to kick it off? Can we kind of talk about the whole? Was negative kind of an extension? of the layover philosophy it was
1: um you know following layover i got a couple opportunities to do some bigger projects Mm -hmm. um i got i got the opportunity to direct six episodes of a hulu series sort of the whole first season of a hulu series called south beach and then after doing south beach i got i was able to direct uh a movie called be somebody which had a I don't know, nine hundred thousand million dollar budget, something like that. And less so, be somebody, because be somebody ended up happening concurrently with negative. Um, okay. Be somebody was largely a, a a job. Yeah. Um, but it really came out of it came out of sort of largely the experience that I had on on South on South Beach. Mm-hmm. which was uh, something where I, I came into it. Um, we were doing a uh, 150 page script, approximately 120 minutes of, you know, 20 minute episodes. Um, and we were sort of given, you know, X amount of money. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was, I don't know, somewhere between 750 and 1.2 or something like that. Okay. And, but we only had like 15 days to make it. And mm-hmm. then we only had like two weeks to edit it. And then we had to put it out. And it was, you know, there were some issues, there were issues with it that I largely blame on myself. Um, but basically, when it came out, nobody really watched it. Nobody really wrote about it. Nobody paid attention to it. And yeah. so I had this sort of really great experience of living in Miami and shooting in Miami for like, you know, several months. Um, although we weren't shooting for several months, we were shooting for 15 days. Right. But I was there for quite a number of quite a while and then sort of felt at the end of the day that there was like this black hole, like I just kind of spent time. And, and I think that that impacted me in a couple of ways. One, it impacted me in sort of going, I don't like this model of production where it's about doing things as fast as possible um, and the way in which you lose opportunity for discovery um, and you lose the time to, for consideration and um you know and so i I really realized oh that didn't work but it was also it also forced me i came out of it also going i think that there was there's a better way to approach this and i think a lot of it was in how we approach cinematography and how we approached the use of digital cameras nowadays because i found myself Um, And not really through any fault of my DP, who's a good friend and I love him, but I just found myself so stilted. I I found myself in a position where I was, you know, left with time to do a couple takes, you know, and then we had to move on. And that's because we were shooting 10 pages a day, but we were also trying to make a show that looked big and beautiful and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so it was this weird thing where I just kind of I learned a lot about what I don't like and what I don't want to be doing Mm -hmm. off of that show. And negative became kind of – even though negative, the early stages of negative, were born before, before I even started work on South Beach, um, it really became a sort of mantra for me coming out of South Beach going like, okay, I want to I want to make negative, and I want to make it for uh, – as uh, well, I don't want to make it for any more money than I need to make it, and I want to right. make it for as little as I can so that nobody will pay attention to me. Right. And I can go make it my way and shoot it the way I want to shoot it. And I'm going to DP it and I'm going to prove that we can use digital cameras at high ISOs and still be okay with it and get a lot better material than we would otherwise. Mm-hmm. And we're going to shoot for as many days as we possibly can. And, you know, I'm going to, we're going to design a script that can be done that way and achievable in the same way that we did layover. So it was basically like a, 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 you know, a slightly more expensive version of layover is kind of what we are after. In the same way we did layover where we shot on the 5Ds and we shot at high ISOs and we just used available light. Like I wanted to go back to that. Yeah. And I wanted to get back to that world Um, because I was convinced that we can make better material if we remove a lot of these obstructions to getting that material. Right. And so that's really where it came out of um, was kind of this experience I had. And then I rolled right into this other movie, Be Somebody, where you know, we were, I was given 12 days to shoot the movie and you're just like, why are we doing this? Like, why are right. we making movies this way? Like, what is the point, you know? And I, I really started getting philosophical about it, um, which, you know, has also led me to sort of where I am now and how I'm thinking about storytelling moving forward. Um, but it really put me in that position of, of just going like, I think that there's a way I can do this that is more about the time with the actors doing takes and the way that layover was and less mm-hmm. about just getting something
0: done in three takes and moving on, you know? Right. With South beach, were you basically hired because of layover? Like was part of the conversation there that they knew you could shoot quickly?
1: Uh, you know, it was, it was a director it was directly because of layover, but it was because of a, a, there was a professional relationship I had with the producer of it from my gotcha. previous job. So gotcha. he was aware of me and he watched it. And he told me that he was really impressed from the fact that I had gotten such great performances from actors that he was not familiar with. <laughs> mm, and I said, okay. "Well, there are a lot of great actors out there, you know, that uh, you probably never not heard of." Um, but that got me in the door. And then my pitch on how to approach this was because it was a multi storyline, you know, kind of show, right? Uh, based on a telenovela series, not based on it was a it was meant to be sort of like an American telenovela. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I pitched sort of doing each storyline in its own you know, method of, of shooting it, you know, whether we were on a steady cam and sticks, or whether we were handheld, or whether we were this or that. And then also, sort of, each storyline had its own color palette to really make these places, these things feel distinct. Right. Um, and I think that one of my mistakes, and I've, I've sort of talked about this before, but I think one of my mistakes on that was when I was initially pitched, I was so against the idea of doing a soap. Mm-hmm. You know, and being somehow stuck in a soap world because of this, that I I pushed it with the writer away from that into something that it really didn't know what it was supposed to be. You know, and, and my sort of regret, I have two regrets about South Beach. I regret one that I didn't just embrace it from a storytelling perspective in terms of the soap. Mm-hmm. I didn't just say like, great, let's just go primetime drama as much as we can. Right, right. right. But that also, I didn't shoot it in the way that I've now realized is most comfortable to me, which is sort of camera on my shoulder, largely handheld, very few marks, letting actors kind of do their thing, and me operating. Right. Um, And instead of sort of doing, you know, I found myself in a position where we were doing steady cam and I wasn't quite getting what I wanted, or we were doing sticks, and sometimes like, you know, the challenge is if you don't have you know, sometimes if you just don't have actors that are so captivating, you know, if, that if, if sometimes what I found is I can help an actor's performance by the way in which I move the camera. Yeah. And if sure. I'm not able to do that, then we're kind of left with nothing but it. And, you know, sometimes you have people coming in, they're day players and you give them three takes and they're done.
0: Right. You know, yeah, and if yeah. they
1: if they're great, they're great. And if they're not like you don't have much you can do to help them. Right, And so I think that's also what I felt like was my failure on it, you know, as a director was, you know, I, I just wish I'd shot it in a different way. Because at the end of the day, where I came from was, um, I realized coming out of a couple of these things that I did after layover was like, I have, I can't control how people feel about the movies that I make. I can't mm-hmm. control whether they like them. I can't control whether they think they're great or think they're terrible. I can't control any of that. And I can't control whether they make money or not. All I can control is how I feel about not only just the work that I do, but also how I feel about it. And coming out of South Beach, I just wasn't happy with the work that I had done on it. And so that coupled with the fact that like nobody paid attention to it, which is probably a little blessing in disguise. But at the same time, it was sort of like a double whammy of like, you know, oh, I just spent seven months working on this thing. And not only does nobody care to watch it, but also I don't really feel that good about the work that I did. Yeah, You know, and because you come out of that and you feel like you let your actors down, you feel like you let your producer down, you feel like you just didn't achieve what you set out to achieve. And, you know, I certainly don't believe in like putting blame on other people, especially when, um, you know, like I, you know, there was a lot that I could have done differently that I think might've changed the trajectory trajectory of that. There's a lot that I couldn't have done. Right. Um, But that's not, that was something outside of my control. And so- but at the end of the day, like all these projects have been just like a lesson, right? you learn learned mm-hmm. something from all of them. And the benefit that I've gotten is that I haven't had to learn those lessons on a hundred million dollar movie that everyone's paying attention to,
0: right? You know, yeah. that sort of puts you in director jail if you don't get it right. Well, it, it was South beach jumping from layover to South beach. Was that a big leap for you or had you, cause I know you had worked and you had done a number of shorts beforehand leading up to layover and, um, I know you had worked on bigger projects, maybe not as a director, but bigger projects. Was South Beach a big jump for you?
1: Not really. I mean, it was, I welcomed it. You know, I'd been doing so much since, you know, even though you're sh- doing shorts, like I had just done, um, I'd worked in the, capa- I'd worked in the similar capacity that we worked on with South Beach, meaning like I'd worked on a tight schedule, I'd worked with limited budgets, you know, I'd worked where, you know, you don't, you can't shoot on weekends over six weeks, right. you know, so I was familiar with that process. So it wasn't really anything that scared me or anything like that. I, in fact, I, I think as a, as a sort of manager, quote unquote, like a, as a director sort of managing the shoot, I think I did a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, it was just the creative where I felt like I had, I may, I made some missteps um, that, you know, I regret or wish I could go back and redo. And um you know, but at the same time, it was not. I, I've never felt um, like it was overwhelming or too much because, really, I mean, like you know, if even if we're talking about a million dollar budget, it's really not a lot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds right. like a lot. It's really not a lot. I mean, it really it doesn't change much. You know, you just have more people to manage, and so um, the challenge and this, the challenge over the course of the last several projects for me has been about despite whatever your circumstances are, whether it's it's a small budget or a bigger budget or a lot of crew or a little crew, it's like, it's always about how are you fulfilling the creative vision? Right. Mm -hmm. And I've certainly found myself fulfilling that better on the projects that I had a lot more control over and will like, you know, layover negative, you know, some of these shorts that I did where I just was like down in Mexico city, running around with the camera and nobody bothering me. I was able to execute it in the way that I wanted. And the big challenge for me is thinking, okay, how do you take that sort of approach that we had in layover? or negative and applied to bigger productions, right? where right. you don't have, where you have a very constrained schedule, where you have a lot of money, but a lot of those money are focused on people, paying crew, like all that kind of stuff. And so how do you, how do you bring that into a, sl- a different sort of production system than the one that, you know, you had been working on and, and, you know, with the, where it's just kind of you with a camera? Right. And that that has been sort of part of the challenge while maintaining your creative vision, your creative execution, getting everything you want, Um, you know, because a lot of the stuff that like when you start to move into those tight schedules and all that kind of stuff, a lot of stuff you lose are those little bits that sort of help broaden the scope of whatever you're shooting. You know, it helps just flavor it and it helps like, you know, like, yeah, you get all the tomatoes in there, but you forget the spices. Right. You know, So, so, yeah, technically you've got a sauce. But it might not be a very good tomato sauce you know and so right. that's kind of how you maintaining the ability to get that despite the fact that you have not a lot of time to do it
0: how big was the crew on south beach
1: i mean maybe 30 40 okay, 30 so to 50 was, people at times okay. yeah i mean it was I mean, no it's like a, it, it felt it, look uh, you know it, it was like a real deal right yeah yeah like it was a real deal thing you know we had everything we needed we were shooting in miami you know, um, one of my one of my things on it was like so much of the show was set indoors, and we were, you know, um, so we were trying to find these places, these locations with big windows where you could see the city, where you could see outside, like, you know, where you could really feel like it was not just like these, the, everything was just indoors, you know, right. and shot on a stage. Um, you, you know, and there was other interesting things that came out of that experience with South Beach that directly applied to negative or to the layover and then later negative, which was like, you know, we were shooting at all the, we were finding all these locations, and uh, funny enough, never shot on South Beach, but you know, we we're shooting in Miami and and looking at these offices and these office spaces, and you know, they're they're not cheap um and i remember like you know we had one of the storylines this is about it's about uh one of the characters owns like the hottest club in miami Mm -hmm. you know and i just remember at one point we're having a conversation with the producer and it was just like oh these location fees like they're just getting out of control and do we need all these extras and i just said i just had to say to him like listen when you write in the text of your show that these two people are like the hottest record executives record labels the head of the hottest record labels in miami that this person owns the hottest nightclub in miami like you can't sell that by putting them in you know a basement office with four painted walls like you're never people are just going to tune out like if you're going to write into your script that these people are rich and successful you need to sell that on screen and this is how we're doing it. Now we're actually doing it way cheaper than like it would normally cost because we're finding these government buildings that are allowing us to shoot there for very little money. But this is why it's this, like, you can't, you can't put a, like the only club space we could get was this kind of like revolving event space. You know, where we were able to rent it out for four days. Right. And I just was saying like, you know, you need this place. If you bring a hundred extras in here, it's going to look empty. Right. Like yeah. you need to fill it. Like we need three, 400 extras. You know, yeah. um, so that's sort of the, um, you know, that's that's like that big challenge. You yeah, know? that's where and, it starts. That's what eating
0: up and the more, right? You know, and that's
1: what you're saying. Like, so I was like, when I wrote layover, all the none of this stuff was in here. You know, I didn't write how, how much money she had. I didn't write like, you know, that that uh, her friend was rich. I didn't write like, you know, it was sort of like, well, what's, what is going to be dictated by what we can find. You know, and like, oh, if the friend if we find a great big house that we can use, great. Then her husband's super successful. If it's like we find a smallerish house that they're you know, they're not struggling, but like, you know, it's the million dollar like condo or million dollar like one bedroom in, in LA, right. it's like great. Then like, oh, he's a middle uh, mid-level executive. Like we it doesn't matter. It's not in the text of the script, right? You know, and so like that's what I always said too is like, you know, about writing what you have, like if you're dad owns a Ferrari dealership and he's willing to lend it to you, then great. Write the Ferrari in, but like, don't write it in thinking you're going to rent it. Right. You know, cause you're not going to have the money. And so that, that became, you know, that was sort of one of those things that I brought into everything now that I've done, especially as a writer is just going like, you know, and also while trying to expand it a little bit, but like that was the challenge on South beach too, is just going like when, you know, that was a direct lesson, which was like, when you write something, it's about rich and famous people.
0: You need to sell that on screen or nobody's ever gonna believe it. Yeah, totally. Was so was negative a script that you had previously written that you then with the success of layover no, kind of went back and no,
1: I didn't write negative.
0: Oh okay. Um,
1: yeah, negative was negative was written by a guy named Adam Gaines, and it was born out of a I had he had contacted me randomly about when I was still doing a podcast or a blog or something. And he had sent me a, you know, we chatted and I was like, eh, I'm not really doing it much anymore. And, you know, and then, and then he had sent me a script of his that I read that was very, like negative, very layover-esque. Yeah. Um, and I just really loved his dialogue. I, I thought that he was kind of a, a Sorkin-esque type of writer. And, mm-hmm. um, and I said, you know, uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. I have this idea that I had in college, which was, you know, originally it was, um, it was about uh, this guy who goes into Central Park. It was like, you know, going to be a student film. And a guy goes into Central Park and he said, he takes, starts taking photos on film, right? Which dates me a little bit, but like, and then he takes those photos and he gets them developed at a one hour photo. And he finds this, this photograph of like, this, this woman like staring at, at the lens. And he like, doesn't remember taking it. He doesn't remember her, but there's this like photograph. And he sort of, that was as far as I got. That was all I had. Yeah. And I said to him, like, you know, maybe it's a spy thing. Maybe it's like she's a spy. I don't know. I was like, run with it. And we liked the spy idea. And he wrote he wrote a short version of it because I was like, hey, why don't you just write a short and we'll go shoot it? And I had at the time, I had, yeah. I had Katya and I had Simon, um, who eventually starred in the feature. But I had them. They, I was I was attached to another movie that they were in. And I just said, hey, guys, we've never worked together before. You want to go make a short for, like, nothing? And they were like, yeah, all right, cool. So Adam wrote this short, which was basically the opening of the movie up through the apartment. And um, we didn't get to shoot it because timing didn't work out. And I just said, I said to Adam, I was like, hey, why don't you, like, if we're gonna do a short, like we might as well do a feature. Right. Like, why don't you just, why don't you write a feature version of it? And he said, okay. And then, so he, this was before I even got onto South Beach. This was in 2014. So he started working on that and or 2013 i remember But basically he started working on that and it you know when you have somebody you're not paying them like you know he told take your time right i'm working on something else and then south beach happened i said look i'm not gonna be able to do this for a while so then just keep working on it you know and then he sent me the script and we did some passes back and forth but um you know he kind of really built out that world that kind of was dictated by me to say you know we really want this to be about these two people maybe, you know, we're probably going to want a fight scene. We're probably going to want to shoot out like, here's sort of these thoughts on what these could be. But like, this is not like a Jason Bourne action movie. We're not going to have enough money to do that. Right. You know, and I basically then said, once we had the script, I sent it to Katya and Simon. I said, remember this little short we had? Well, we have a feature version of it. Are you guys interested in just going to making this? And at the time, um, you know, Simon was on uh, Westworld. Right. Um, You know, and had done some things, but it was always interested in game for for something cool. And this was, you know, a different sort of take on the whole thing and and that kind of thing. And and Katya, you know, had been sort of stuck in um, in the world of like, you know, uh, um, uh, what's the Sleepy Hollow and corsets. Yeah, 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 yeah. All this kind of stuff and had had a real desire to do something very different. And I said, "Well, you're going to play a really badass spy. Like, are you, you know, are you down?" She said, "Yeah." And so we brought on a producer, this guy named Will Borthwick, who who was introduced to me by my manager. And I, I said, "We're well, we're going to do this for like a hundred grand." And he said, "Okay. I don't know how you're going to do that, but sure." And I said, "Well, just learn from me." And um, and uh, and then we went to, you know, we were originally just going to fund it ourselves. And my manager said, "Well, let me see if I can give someone get someone to give you my give you money." And so we went to. Because of Layover, I had a connection at MarVista and there was a, an exec there, um, Sharon Bordas, who really loved Layover, really responded to it, almost got me on to another feature they were doing, but uh, just didn't work out. And I went to her and I said, look, I really want to really make this movie. All I need is a hundred grand. I want you to leave me alone and I'll bring you a movie back. Right. And she said, Okay. And so they basically gave us the money and they left me alone for a year and let me go shoot the movie, um, which is fantastic. And so yeah. so it was a hundred grand. We spent $75,000 of it on production and we spent $25,000 of it
0: on post. So there's a, you brought up an interesting point which was when you pitched the idea or when you were talking with your producer who you eventually brought on and saying, hey, we're gonna get do this for $100,000 and he goes, I don't know how you're gonna do that, but okay. Those conversations, what are those, getting people to kind of sign off and get on board with that idea? Um, do you do you run into that a lot? Because I'd imagine you do.
1: Yeah, I mean, a little bit. We, as soon as I got back from Miami, I went out and we shot a, a test scene of, of the film, which is the film this the scene where they pull off to the side of the road. Yeah. And um she he gets out and she gets out. We actually went and shot that. Right. And you know, I was testing some things and also just like getting used to the camera and you know now playing this world of, of lutz LUTs and sort of you know shooting log. And that was something I was not necessarily familiar with. And so I just wanted to do like I want to sort of just do a test. Let's just see if we can do this. Right. And he and our producer wasn't on board then, and so I, um, you know, we shot that. I put it together. I did some color, and then we had this to kind of show and say, well, we did this for nothing. We did this in an afternoon, right? And when I so when we started talking about it, you know, he was used to the world of bigger budgets. I said, you know, here's how we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it with a very small crew. Like I'm gonna DP it. You know, we'll hire a sound guy on the days we need it. You know, mm-hmm. and other days we won't. And, you know, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to basically scale up and scale down as needed. So we're going to see, you know, we're going to shoot as much of the film with as few people as possible. And, you know, and we'll, you know, we'll buy a drone, which we did. We just bought a drone yeah. to use. And then we'll, you know, we'll buy like a car mount. You know, rather than renting it, and yeah, we'll rent some lights here and there. But like, largely, we're just going to use a lot of natural light, a lot of available light. We're just going to do it as is, and you know, we're we're just we're only going to spend money where we really need to spend the money. Right. Um, and so it was sort of a slow process. Like, basically, what ended up happening was I was going to start. I started shooting negative in the fall of 2015. And then I got this other movie, Be Somebody, and I had to actually like pause negative and go Mm -hmm. shoot Be Somebody and then come back to negative in 2016. And so we actually shot – we started – we were waiting on our deal to close anyway with Mar Vista. And so we Mm -hmm. actually went out and we shot – we shot almost the first 20 minutes of the movie for about four grand. Oh, wow. And we shot almost – we shot all of that before – I started work on this other thing. So a lot of the stuff where they're downtown, a lot of the chase scenes, like the whole apartment scene we shot very early on. So we actually got like the first quarter of the movie done within, you know, and we were shooting haphazardly. Like we'd go out and do a day here, day there, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, But we were shooting all these things that didn't cost any money. We were shooting, we were, you know, we didn't shoot the fight scenes, we didn't shoot the travel scenes, we didn't shoot any of that. We were just shooting the scenes that were just like, we could just steal, you know, in a lot of ways. And so I think that also convinced him because then I started showing them the images of what we had shot and I started putting it together and they started going like, oh, okay, wait, this is actually working. And then it became about just like minimizing those costs whenever we could, you know, and finding those locations that would allow us to shoot for nothing. And, you know, and finding a motel that would allow us to close them down for three nights, but not charge us an arm and a leg. Right. Um, you know and so we we got very lucky and again like we rode in i mean we spent so much time scouting and going to different places and driving around you know in the middle of the night up in palmdale and you know and all that kind of lancaster and like trying to like just find places that not only would let us shoot but also looked right aesthetically didn't feel too much like la because so much of the movie is about being between la and arizona mm-hmm. and um you know, but I think as we slowly got into it, and I said, well, let's start small. Let's do these scenes. Let's get this done. Then we started sort of, he started going, okay, wait, I see how we can do
0: this. And then by the end of the movie, he was like such a true believer in it. He was like, how do we make another movie this way? What were the conversations, what are conversations with actors with, because um, I, when it's just you running camera and you have a sound guy and maybe a third person as crew, what is, yeah. Do actors really respond to that or is it kind of like a, what the hell did I get into type of thing?
1: Some do. I mean, they all have to come from a place of like relationships, right? It's very hard to, very hard to cast that. Like even Sebastian uh, Roche, you know, like he came through a relationship with Simon. Gotcha. And so Simon was able to go. Hey, I think you should talk to this guy. We had a conversation. I said, "This is kind of how we're doing it. You know, are you interested?" And you find that most of them are game. I mean, you tell them, "Look, there's no, there's not going to be any trailers. You know, there's not going to be any of this. You're just going to, you know, no marks. Like we're just going to kind of run and gun it." Like some people are really excited about it. I did another movie, a short that I shot um, down in Mexico City called Ciudad, that I shot the same way. And at this point, I sort of put. Well, my buddy Mark Polish started putting a a, a a name to it, which was called live environment shooting. Mm,
0: okay.
1: Shooting in where you either have permission or you don't, but you don't control anything. Right. right? It's the way that it's the way that they shot Tangerine. Right. Um, you know, it's like they had permits, but they didn't control anything. Right. And so you have to be like one of the reasons why in that short we hired. Uh, you know, I I had a. Uh, through my manager there was an actress named Amy Manson who I really liked and had wanted to work with and I said hey I've got this short the flyer to Mexico City there's no pay we're going to shoot for 5 days and then we'll see what we get you know and one of the things she was like totally game which was like mm-hmm. super exciting but I had Mark come down because in addition to being a director he also acts and I said Mark come down to sort of play opposite her because I knew that he, both as a director and as an actor, had a lot of experience shooting live environment stuff. I mean, it's how they shot for *Lovers Only*. It's how he shot a lot of his movie *Headlock*, which got renamed to *Against the Clock*, but I'll always call it *Headlock*. Um, you know, where you're kind of just going for it, and you know, conversations with him always revolved around like some actors are game for it and some aren't. You know, there's just a comfort level. Right. Um, with Simon and Katya, they were kind of just game for it. You know, it was really never sort of like that thoroughly discussed it was just sort of like this is going to be different than any experience you usually have and it's going to be largely much more focused on putting you guys into the middle of it and letting you react and letting you act and letting you try things and play and live in these you know and and not be constrained by lighting or camera or anything like that like we're going to kind of make it a real collaboration in ways that tv sometimes is not and, uh, so sometimes you can find, you know, you can find great actors in the TV world who are so sort of like, like over the stagnation of it, you know, and the way in which it's approached that they're willing to try anything, but you have to be very upfront with them about, you know, and it, it certainly sort of works to a certain degree. I mean, you know, uh, with Katya and Simon, like you know, being, we were never sort of stopped and nobody really recognized them. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to create like, oh, that's, you know, why wouldn't anybody recognize them? They're not famous enough, whatever. But like, you know, we just never did. Whereas like, you know, we found ourselves up in the hills of Mexico City and Amy who had played in Once Upon a Time played, um, I don't remember the character's name, but the girl from Brave, you know, the redhead right, Like right. archer, like she got stopped by like this, this couple of little Mexican girls who like recognized her. Oh, you wow. Know? And it was fine. It wasn't a big deal, but it was like, never would have expected that because one, she looks nothing like the character now, you know, she didn't have red hair. She didn't have her bow. She wasn't in a fantasy, you know, she was wearing, she was playing a photographer, you know? And so, you know, the other question is like, I mean, I just got back from, from shooting my next movie Southland, um, you know, which stars Bella Thorne and we couldn't go anywhere in Oklahoma city, which is where we're shooting without her being recognized. You know, yeah. so even, like, so, you know, I think it's it's challenging if you get into that world, you right. know. But I think that there's, you know, so it just becomes, what it does is it becomes a conversation with the actors to say, like, we may only have one take, we may have one shot at this, but you're also stepping into it, designing it to be accomplished in that way. You're not doing complex choreography, you're not doing complex stunts or complex dialogue in those scenes where, you may not have the time, you may not have the opportunity to do more than one take. Right. You know, Um, you just want them to be comfortable. And also, but I also think there's something to be said for putting them into a a live environment, putting them into a situation where like they're not, it's not staged. You know, I remember we shot the scene in the Chinese market in downtown LA and we shot it in basically like 20 minutes. I mean, we just boom, boom, boom. It was Robert Rodriguez, right? It was just like, okay, need this shot. Okay, let's move on, let's get this shot. Boom, 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 boom. 20 minutes later, we were done. And I literally like, we were like, okay, let's go. And then I told my producer, I'm like, we'll be back in a few minutes. And he said, all right. And you know, and Simon mentioned afterwards, he was like, oh, if you would try to do this scene in a regular movie, it would have been four days. You would have had to broom all the real people out, bring in all the extras. It would have taken forever to get the extras to do what you're wanting because they always like, they never do what you need them to do. You know, and it would have been a major pain in the ass to shoot that. And we just shot it in 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, that's sort of the difference, you know. Um, now, if we had been stopped and told to get out, like, that would have been a different story,
0: you know. Yeah. yeah. Has that happened on either layover or negative? Did you run into that?
1: No. No. The, um, the closest we got was the uh, uh, the market that's in downtown L.A. I forget the name of it. Um. Like you know, it's a bunch of food stalls and stuff like that. I'm trying to remember the name. Of it. Anyway, but like they have a lot of security there. We uh, actually exactly. were able to shoot. Sh- we actually got away with it in there, but like it was close.
0: Gotcha. Um,
1: so you know, but but I think that you have to just have one. It helps to have done it mm-hmm. if you're working with actors of any caliber because they're they need to trust you. You know, yeah. they need to trust that you know what you're doing, that you're not putting them in a, in a dangerous situation that it's not going to be a safety issue, you know, and if you walk them through it and you explain it and you talk about it, you know, and you sort of say, look, I've done this, I know how we're doing this. You know, if at any time we need to say stop, like whatever, you know, it's like, it's just about them trusting you and you then executing on that trust, you know, to get what you need to get. And so I think like by doing that and doing that stuff early, it made Conti and Simon feel really really excited about like what we were shooting because they were like wow you got that where you had no control imagine what you're going to do when you're going to have
0: you know a little bit of control right yeah so this is let me ask you cuz you brought him up are you is rodriguez are you a big fan of rodriguez is this kind of where some of this comes from
1: i mean i'm sure i've absorbed it i i'm i mean i you know i think that he's early on he did a lot you know to sort of bolster like independent filmmaking in, and yeah. in doing sort of action stuff and i think that that was kind of always interesting because i think even still to this day so much of indie film is just people talking you know and right. that can be really really great you know, it can also be like we've seen it you know yeah. and what's new about it and so i think like just as a young film student you know in high school when you rebel without a crew comes out and all the behind the scenes on documentaries and mariachi like you're just absorbing all that and i wasn't actively going like hey we're doing a robert rodriguez thing here but you sort of you take into account like hey there's a way of doing this because in an action scene you're not going to use you don't need to shoot the whole scene right you know you just need to get your way through it and know what your edits are going to be and i think that just sort of like was something that 10 years prior had sort of gotten you know had a little bit of a installation in me and And I carried it on even to this day. So
0: what was the response to negative? Because you had layover, it came out. I know it made waves in the film industry in terms of uh, the indie film industry. Like it made huge waves. I read all those articles. What was the reaction to negative?
1: Uh, I mean, certainly different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think that, I mean, you know, it's not an easy movie. It was sold as like an action movie. Right. Like, and it's not that. And so I think it's split with probably an airing on the side of negative, you know, no, you know, no pun intended. Um, but I think it also like, I think Mar Vista expected it to do better than it did. And so it didn't really, they didn't, you know, again, you don't get promotion. You don't really get much, you know, in terms of marketing, yeah kind of gets dumped and then it's up to you to try and push that marketing um but i found that like i think people largely took i don't know why but i feel like most people took a far too they took it much too literally Mm, okay um because of the trailer or and I, I don't impact. I don't I don't know. I mean even the few professional rules, you know, guys that read it, like I feel like they review movies so quickly that they don't really have the time to really give it much thought. Yeah. And maybe they don't think it deserves it. I'm not really sure, but like, you know, there's like they'll point out sort of like these plot holes, mm-hmm. which aren't really plot holes, you know. They're just like things we just didn't put in, right? right. Like one of their biggest plot holes is how do how do the two bad guys find find them over and over again? Yeah. You know? And I kind of go, do we really care about that? Yeah. Like, do you really care how they found them?
0: Yeah, there's a a suspension of disbelief, almost responsibility to a certain extent that viewers need to take on.
1: Right. But also it's like, if we show that they went to this location and found a clue, is that going to satisfy the idea of a pursuit? Because, like, I don't think so. Like, I mean, right. I think of, like, No Country for Old Men. How many times does – what's his, What's his name? Ah, Javier Bardem's character. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, show up. Right. Like how many times does he just like get to from one place to the other? Is he because the whole point in that movie is he's the devil, right? right? He's just like an oncoming presence that like you can't get away from. He's the bad guy in the dream that you can't escape. Right. But that's still a fairly literal movie. Like it's not a it's not a fantasy. It's not something like that. And so like I found that like people harped on certain things in the movie because I don't really know why but like Mm -hmm. i don't find to me i find like who, who like who cares how they found them that's not the point the point is they're just coming after them they're fucking like you know mercenary uh drug dealing killers and they're just gonna they're gonna pursue you and hunt you down right and you know and so i guess like you know so that was something that bothered me i remember reading one reviewer that said somehow a plot hole was the fact that like he used a film camera you know and uh Somehow that was like, oh, it's like they made the mistake of having him use a film camera. And I'm just like, uh, no, it was actually intentional. And do you did not watch the movie? And like, decided- you know, but also people shoot, people shoot on film all the time. Right. You yeah. know, just because now everyone shoots on an iPhone doesn't mean there aren't certain people that still shoot on. So it just was like things where you start to get into that world where people are picking apart the film You just go, yeah, I mean, this is now the world of Amazon movie reviews and this is everybody's got an opinion and there's nothing you can really do about it. So, um, you know, I sort of stopped looking. I know there's some people that really liked it and appreciate it. I think what we were trying to do at the end of the day was try and find how do you tell the spy story that's about the parts in between what you normally see? You know, I think of like the scene early on in Jason Bourne or in the, the, the first Bourne movie. When he and um, whatever her name is is going, I forget the character's name, but like they're they're going from like Switzerland to France, you know, and it's just like it's a dissolve, right? It's just like oh, like the cars in the mountains of you know, of France, and then they're in Paris, you know. And I was just like, well, what happens on that eleven-hour trip?
0: (laughs) Right, he's just kidnapped her.
1: Yeah, I was just kind of like, well, we don't have the money to do the Bourne, so like, how do we do the the stuff that's in between? How do we do the stuff in between the Bourne? and that was kind of what was interesting to me. I think that, um, you know, and then, but also wanting to do action and also wanting to do some gunfights, you know, I think that I learned a lot doing blank fire, you know, cause we had the blank fire sequence at the end. Right. I learned, you know, a lot about the fight sequence. I mean, we had a lot of fun shooting. that. I still think it's, I mean, I haven't done another fight sequence, but I think people watch that and go, Holy shit. Yeah. Um, but I think like, you know, uh, I get that there's, you know, there was just the nature of not having a lot of money. There are certain little problems we had to solve in, in the movie. And, you know, I just sort of remember going like, oh, like, I didn't know that people would really care how they found him because that seems to not be like, who cares? Like, that's the most boring part of the movie. Right. You yeah. know, like, who cares? Like, you know, and uh, like I've seen it a million times, you sort of, what we were trying to do was just play into an audience's pre-existing canon of, of experience watching movies and go, Oh, well, they're probably just, this is how they're doing it. I don't need to see it. Yeah. You right. Know? Yeah. Um, but I think that my biggest, you know, and there's some technical things that we should cover on a negative as well that would be of interest to people. But I, I think from a storytelling perspective, and again, I put sort of my, the blame on myself for this, um, is, what and what i've thought about more especially having now done southland which without i can't go into detail about but i think that um so layover layover was not a movie about a girl just in la for the night right layover was a movie about millennial angst and about coming to a crossroads in your life and knowing that if you went this way it's going to lead to one thing. If you go this way, it's going to lead to something that might not make you happy, but that seems to be the easier choice. So that's what I'm going to take. Right. And that, that I realized that wasn't necessarily something I put together when I was writing it. It was something that I realized in watching it with audiences and watching it with a bunch of retirees in Palm Springs to watching it with a bunch of younger people all over the place. Like, you know, everybody sort of latched into this idea and had a universal experience with I've, been at a crossroads in my life. And I've taken one of those routes. Mm -hmm. And I either take the route that like she didn't, or I took the route that she did. And so everybody somehow connects to it, connects to this idea of not only a sort of like desire to be in a situation like hers where, Oh, you know, I, I, maybe I've had a layover that night or I had a all night chat with somebody or like whatever, you know, there's just, there was a lot for people to sort of connect to in that. And I think that has a lot to do with the success as people watch it because everyone's experienced that in some, in some way. So that's what the movie's really about. The movie's about that. It's not about the plot. And I think the, my, my, problem now looking at negative and probably the reason why it didn't quite hit in the way that I expected it to was that nobody really cares that I made a movie for a hundred thousand dollars. Right. At the end of the day. uh, uh, Yeah. Audiences don't care. Right. Now there's a whole other thing about that. So we'll sidebar that, but the problem with negative at the end of the day is just not really about anything other than the story. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so there's nothing to connect to. There's nothing to really latch on to. And I think that that maybe is probably just a result of the type of storytelling that we were doing and the way we approached it, you know, that Adam and I sort of dove in. And I certainly had no problems with it when we were going into shooting. But sort of having come out of it, I recognize that it's kind of just about what it is about. Right. And there's nothing else really there.
0: Sure, sure.
1: And... I've sort of now started really looking at anything I do through that lens of what what is this really about? Because mm-hmm. if it's just about the story, why are we making it? Why are we right. telling it? You know, and that seems um, obvious, but you read a lot of material nowadays, and there's such a thirst for material that people are just pumping out whatever you know, and I'm certainly guilty of it too. You know, I've, I've written things where I'm like, this isn't, I just don't know what this is about anymore, you know, or I come up with ideas or I even attach myself to myself to things. And then I got to go, you know, I just don't know what this is really supposed to be other than what it is. Yeah. And I just sort of lose interest. um, Because I think that I've recognized that really the best movies out there are those movies that, you know, and again, I'm stating the obvious, but like, it's not that obvious which is like the best movies out there are the ones that we inject ourselves into and can connect to on some level and can be challenged by. And if those movies, if your movie's not doing that, then why are you making it? Mm -hmm. Because there's enough horror movies out there that are about nothing. There's enough thrillers out there that are about nothing. There's enough dramas about two people, you know, talking their ears off that aren't really about anything. And I think like, you know, I'm certainly moving forward. Everything I do, I'm like, I'm just going, what's this really about? Like, what's the thing that's below the surface that's going to get an audience member to remember this movie and to connect to it and to be excited about it? Yeah. You know, and uh, and so that's kind of what I'm looking for, you know, in terms of, um, you know, in terms of like projects. And I think negative, the one thing negative did was teach me that. Now, on the other hand, the thing that I said we could sidebar, Was this idea that sometimes, frankly, you are making movies for the filmmakers who work in Hollywood? Yeah. Um, You know, you are making movies as audition pieces, as terrible as that sounds, but that's what layover was. That's what negative was. Like, it was about making something that probably was never going to make any money at the box office, despite your thinking it would. And what it's really about is it's really about showing execs that you know what you're doing, Right. right? Or that you have a perspective or a story, you know? So the one thing that, like, with negative was negative showed that I could do a fight scene and then I could do Mm gunfights, you know, and that became sort of helpful when we were getting into Southland and started getting like into that world because there were not fight scenes, but there was a lot of stunts and there was a lot of uh, gunfire. Right. You know? And and so that kind of became helpful. Right. Yeah. So regardless of whether anybody, and frankly, that's how it should be. You should be making these small movies. You should be learning new things. You should be trying new things. Hopefully people see it and then they go, hey, why don't you do this? Yeah, you know, maybe right. we could get this guy to do this, you know, but, um, but that's sort of like, that's, that's also what you're doing too. You know, it's not just, sometimes you have to think like when you're making these smaller movies, you're not really making them for an audience because there's yeah, not going to be an right. audience to watch it. You're making it to get your next movie. And I think, like, what's weird is you sort of sound, oh, that seems like a waste of money. But at the same time, you go, like, in what other industry are people with zero experience thrown into something where they're spending millions of dollars without sort of knowing what, what that in- outcome is going to be?
0: Yeah, right. You know,
1: yeah. the, uh, appren- the world of apprenticeship and the world of, of even now filmmakers getting to do the Nolan thing, which is you make a $6,000 movie, you make a couple whatever his memento was. I don't remember the final, you know, five, ten million or something yeah, like that. Like and then you get months. to make then you get to make, you know, your thirty million dollar insomnia. And then you get your eighty million dollar Batman. And then you get your hundred and fifty million dollar inception, you know, and then you get your two hundred and fifty million dollar tenant or whatever it is. You know, right. it's like it's like, so, but then you see so many stories of these filmmakers that go from making their couple million dollar like indie feature and they're thrown on these superhero movies and they just get so burned out, yeah. you know? And they just like, they're they're hired to be like button pushers because the studios know they can control them in the way that they can't control bigger directors. Right. But it's really sort of tough on those filmmakers, you know, to execute when you've got rooms of executives telling you what to do. You know, you don't have a lot of creative vision. You don't have a lot of creative ability, and you may not be familiar enough with how to work those rooms and how to work the politics of that room because nobody teaches politics in filmmaking, right? As the course, yeah, right. Like, yeah. I mean, how, how much uh, of filmmaking is politics? I can't even tell you. Like this, you know, the politics of making films should be offered in every film school. and Nobody teaches you it, right? And so, either have it or you don't. And if you're going to be, you're going to bristle against it, you're going to fight against it, you're going to be labeled a troublemaker, you're going to be put in director jail, and you're never going to get to make a movie again. And that's just not necessarily fair. You know, I think that like that's so, so the more that you can be making features or making stuff and the experience you get and figure out what you like and what you don't like, the more prepared you're going to be to very gently take those steps up. Do I wish I was making much more expensive movies already at 35 years old? 100%. Do I think I'm really ready for it? Um, I mean maybe at this stage, having gone through Southland, right. but even then, like I don't I, I'd rather jump up slower and still get <laughs> yeah. to execute it, you know the vision that I have. And so I think that's also something that like people are in a rush to get somewhere um, before they really know where they're going or have really taken the necessary steps to prepare for that journey. And so, you know, um, that's what I've been fortunate with because I've been able to fail. I've been able to try things that didn't work and take jobs that I probably shouldn't have and, you know, have them not do well and learn from them and apply them to the next thing without being punished for it, Yeah, you know? So that's that's certainly been um, a boon and, and, you know, allowed me to sort of, again, like, I mean, Southland is a wholly original script, you know? Yeah. And being able to play in that
0: world as opposed to needing to come couple with the IP and all that stuff was a gift. Well, you hit on, so everything you just talked about got me all excited again, <laughs> because it's a, cause I'm in the middle, I'm in post on a feature, you know, and I, it's, you know, I look at it and go, God, I'm, I can't believe we got through it, but it's also like, you're looking at it, seeing all of the flaws, all of the mistakes. Um, but to, it is and I know for people listening, it's also you saying like, look, you make this as an audition piece half the time or, you know, all the time or, you know, that those first couple films, are you testing yourself against yeah. those situations? And yeah, it may, you do have to do it at some point um, is, you know, for me kind of where I am and because we're always... It, the tough part is and I found myself like as I'm going through posts like I just I honestly like I can't go to no film school every day anymore um, right the website and I can't read all those articles every day as much as I love them because it just drops you in this well of everything I'm not doing everything I'm not working towards everything I you know it, you're just so overwhelmed by it and um, oh yeah. You, you just know, and I mean, turn it off, but that's even a darker place of like I'm turning all that off to focus on this project, but I also but you still have to keep your um, excitement for your own project and your optimism of your own project, you know, alive. And that's really difficult to do without having all the connections. Yeah,
1: I mean, look, I you know two years ago made a decision, obviously with my family
0: to leave LA.
1: Uh, to move to you know the woods of the Hudson Valley in upstate New York, yeah, and to largely disconnect from all of that stuff that you just talked about, right? Yeah. Like the no film schools, the Twitter, the people, every fucking person in LA working on a movie, you know, um, you know, get get out of there, you know, and get away from it because one, it does nothing for your like you know own depression in what you're working on. Um, but two, it's just a, it's a, it's pretty much a distraction. Yeah, yeah. There have been great movies made prior to there being Twitter, and there will continue to be make great movies once Twitter's gone. Right. But you know, I, um, I really started believing in like, I need to be doing the work. The work is what's going to do it. It's not not going to be my connections. It's not going to be the people I meet on Twitter not going to be going out and marketing and networking and like whatever. It's going to be doing the work. It's going to be, because I also look, frankly, I also reached a place before I moved. I got signed to CAA. I have a really good manager. I had a great lawyer. Like I got, okay. Networking's taken care of. I don't have to do that anymore. Right. Right. Like if I have a great project, they will find the people right to get it done. Yeah. And that's what happened on Southland. Like I had a script, a lot of people turned it down. A lot of people said no. But they found the people that said yes, and it took a while. You know, I wrote the script three years ago, mm-hmm. but we finally got it made. I mean, we we just made it. You know, right. and so um, so that got me away from it. And and getting here, I found that what happens is, and it was so it's so funny you brought this up because I just saw this funny enough a No Film School article that I saw on Twitter randomly, yeah. Um, yeah. even though I've largely stayed off of it, and talked about basically burnout. You know, and it happens and it happens when you don't have a work-life balance. You know, it happens when you are so focused on just movies, 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 movies. And that puts you in a state of always comparing yourself to what's being made or what's getting greenlit or the people that you know, you know, and, and I'm certainly a super jealous type. I see people working on something and I'm not, I'm like, Oh, you lucky motherfucker. Like, yeah. well, how'd you get yeah. that? And it's probably something they just invented and it's not paying them anything, you know, and they're just like lucky, you know, they're just like doing it and they're probably grumbling about it. Like, you know, same thing, you know, I, I have, I have two of my good friends wrote the quiet, you know, a quiet place. Yeah. You know, oh, stop wow. back in right. Brian woods. Like, you know, they're like great guys and I hear about everything they're doing. And then you sort of hear the real story behind it. And you know, you gotta go, okay, we're all in this together and we're all dealing with stuff and, you know, but it's super easy to go, why am I not doing, it? especially when you're not working. And I think that for me, I had to step out of that environment where I was constantly confronted and by all those people that are doing stuff, you know, Yeah, because I found myself just like not in that happy place, you know, of um, of supporting them in the way that we should, you know, in the way that you should support your friends. And so now it got to now it's like I look around and one of the one of the most exciting things to me is seeing all of my peers and all these people that I know getting their shot, whether it's their first feature or another feature or a TV series or it's, you know, all these people that I've watched over the last couple of years struggle try, fight, get something going, fail, have something else happen. It seems like 2019, like all these things are coming together for all these people that are right in my sort of peer group. And it's really fun. And I'm actually, for the first time, feel like genuinely excited for them as opposed to jealous. Right. You know, and that may have something to do with the fact that I got to make my movie this year, but it also may have something to do with the fact that I've tried to really change my mindset. Certainly living on four acres in the middle of the woods has helped with that. But it's also been like, Film is just, film's not life to me. And I have really gotten to this place where I feel like, you know, we have kind of one shot here and we should really have a fucking great time doing it, you know, while we're here. And, you know, I've started fly fishing. I get outside. I like, you know, I spend the mornings writing or working on what I'm working on and then I'm watching my daughter or I'm getting out. Like I really am trying to find a way to not be so consumed by the filmmaking process Mm -hmm. and, or the filmmaking world. And instead just like, this is my work and I'm going to focus on my work. And it's funny because like, you know, there was an article years ago, that reposted on my blog that was about the very thing you were talking about. And it was a roundtable with like all the sort of directors that had been nominated that year. I think it was Hollywood Reporter. And they all, you know, it was Coen Brothers, it was Affleck, it was Aronofsky. And it was like just these great, great directors. And all of them were talking about how the early stages of post are the worst experiences that they've ever had. And it right. happens on every movie. And it's like, you know, the reporter was surprised by it. And everyone's just like, oh, yeah. They're like, it's the most miserable time in your in your life. You know, Aronofsky's he was just like, Oh yeah. He's like, the day you watch your assembly cut is the day you know you're going home and getting drunk. <laughs> and they were just like, they were just like, why? And they're just like, well, because it's just like it's 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 so far, you are so far from being done. Right. And it's just the worst it will ever be.
0: Yep. You yeah, know, in like theory
1: and and even affleck's going home on having done big movies like the town he's going to, he's like every day you go home and you're like oh, i didn't get this oh I, I i should have shot this i didn't have t-. you know it's like everybody goes through that i know it's hard to believe but every maybe there's a couple directors that probably don't but like for the most part everyone goes through it and the difference is those that recognize it and go oh this is just a stage and this always happens and now I just got to buckle down and I got to do the work and I got to slowly build this film brick by brick, frame by frame to get it to where I need it to be. And it's not going to come easy and it's not going to be handed to me. And the only way to do it is to just sit in the fucking chair and do it. Right. And that applies to writing and it applies to whatever else you're doing. It's like, so that's where like the work has to be the fulfillment. It can't be awards. It can't be box office. It can't be any of that because, you know, if you look at like David Foster Wallace talking a lot about this and the idea of fame is like if your goal is to be famous, you'll never be famous enough. If your goal is to have money, you'll never be have enough money. Like you if – if your goal is a constantly ever-shifting thing, you know, I write about – I wrote an article that was sort of about the um, – oh, God, what was it called? I'm going to have to get it for you. But basically it talked about this idea talked yeah. about the idea of um oh a re- relative success in hollywood i can't believe oh, it yeah ever yeah, ever yeah. Ever. Uh, and i've read that multiple right times. <laughs> it's it's that right and it, it's because if if you're if your goal is to win an oscar very few of us are ever going to do that and so all your entire life you're going to be disappointed right you know right. your goal should be to just do good work yep and if you do good work other stuff will come but it will never own you and it will never consume you because it's not on your plate. It's not something you're trying to strive for. You know, it's about, it's about getting to do the work. Now, when you have the chance to do that work, you should fight as fucking hard as you can to do it. Right. Like, and I'm going through that now, it's like protecting your vision, executing the film you want to execute. Like that is a fight worth, worth fighting, you know, but, but, you know, trying to, but that's the work, you know? So I think, yeah. Yeah. So I think like, it's just about, recognizing everybody goes through it, it's recognizing it's not uncommon and and even the best filmmakers in the world like deal with the first assembly cut of their movie which is probably the worst movie they've ever seen in their life you know and and that's what it's supposed to be right because you know it's it's you haven't touched it yet you haven't done the work and so you know i think that that's really i don't know it's i've found myself over the last couple of years you know sort of oddly enough following the you know the 2016 election Um, was just finding myself going like, okay, like, I don't know, there just needs to be a change, you know, there needs to be something that is going to be different about how I'm approaching this, you know, and, and I really sort of turned inward and really sought, you know, sort of sought out and found stoicism and the writings of Ryan Holiday and, you know his sort of interpretations of Marcus Aurelius and and really sort of gravitated towards that as a as a philosophy sort of a philosophy i guess philosophical mm-hmm. look on life but that's also really helped me you know i mean so one of the tenets of it is what is up to us what is not up to us right right and that goes back to what i'm saying what is up to us is the work that we do you know right. what is not up to us is people's perception of it and you can look at i see this all the time like people friends who make movies you know, like people, you know, I have my buddy, Will Eubank, like, just came out with this underwater trailer, you know, that Fox is putting out. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. It, you know, it looks great. And, of course, you got everybody, you know, now the Internet, the Internet is literally just a dumping ground for for opinions. Yeah. And somehow yep. the Internet has convinced us that our, that our, our opinions are, are worth something to other people besides us. Right. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's turned Twitter into a dumpster fire. You know, everybody's shouting at each other. You know, I, I think of so many people I know on Twitter and I think of that Simpsons cartoon where it's um this or the Simpsons thing where it's like old man yells at cloud. You know, it's right. like that's that's to me is what it is. Like, and I think like you, you know, you go on there and it's just like pessimism and yelling at each other and I'm sure there's some good stuff in there, but it just doesn't seem worth it to wade through the shit to find like, you know, a diamond on there. And yeah. and, and I don't even think it's a diamond, you know, it's a it's a cubic zirconium. Yeah, and, correct. and and, you know, I just find so much more satisfaction in sort of getting off that, looking out in the world, finding those stories that I want to tell there, and not worrying about everyone else. Because right. I'm, you know, and I've been there, man. I fucking had arguments on Twitter, and I've probably been part of the problem and, and part of the worst of them. You know, and even some people like that I got into, we later made up you know, right. and, and sort of apologize to each other. And, and I, but I, I just said, you know, this is just not, it's just leading to people not liking each other in arguments. And it's so much misinterpretation of what you're writing and, and you're trying to explain things in 140 characters or 240 now or whatever. And it's just like, why, like, why are we spending our time doing this? Like, why are yeah. we not creating? Think of how many words you've written on Twitter in tweets. That's probably t- tens of screenplays. Yeah. Right. You it know? on into a
0: script. And yeah not- and
1: I, I and how much energy you put into that and i just really started to go i just don't want it. i don't want my energy i don't want that to be my energy yeah you know i don't i don't want it to be it lost in there Right. Yeah. Like i want, I want that energy going to my kids, the good energy, not the bad energy I want, yeah. but I want the energy going towards my kids and how I'm raising them. I want it to be going towards my wife. I want it to be going towards the work that I'm doing, you know, and it's sort of like you were, there was a point where it felt like if you weren't on Twitter and you weren't engaging with everybody, then you were missing out. Right. Like FOMO. Yeah. yeah, the fact is it's just not true. Like yep. I, I can't tell you last time I really, I mean, I guess I read it today, but like prior to today, I hadn't read something on no film school, which I think is a great site. I'd read that in a year, more than a right. year.
0: Right. You know, well, like, you've I mean, written for it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I've written for it. And I think it's a great resource for filmmakers. And so I'm not knocking it, but I'm saying like, at some point you stop, you stop needing to be looking at resources and you need to start doing, you know, and I think layover yeah. became that for me, which was about, okay, I've got to just start doing right. Yep. And then, and then you see, sort of, oh, that's really where that's really where things change, right? Yeah. Where you, when you start doing it, and and even doing it at the budget we did it at, you know, it was it was for me, it was a game changer. I mean, every job I've had has come directly out of layover. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, In sense. It, so it would,
1: there's a it, lot to like unpack there, but I think like I don't know, I I've, I've just had a, a big change, big mindset change over the last couple of years, and. And have kind of like shared that out out there, and you know, just felt like, you know, I think that I don't know. It's it's mostly a personal thing, you know. That's something this worked for me, but, but no, I think it, that you know. It's,
0: but everything yeah. talk about <laughs> it, uh, dude. I, like you already, you fucking made my day. Like uh, this, <laughs> not only do I think this is like a great place to to land the podcast this episode, but like you just made my day. Cause it's it, the personal part of it and it is not what gets talked about. Right. Um, and it's particularly- all cameras and it's, yeah, you yeah. mics and like whatever. Well, and it's not yeah. like, it's like, uh, I, I want to know one of the biggest like revelations for me that, um, kind of like I could just take a breath was the, you know, um, Following has like an interview with Nolan. And right. he was talking about, yeah, he made it on the weekends and blah, blah, blah. But he goes like, yeah, you know, I was just working, my day job was going in and filming, you know, CEOs of companies. And that's how I was making money at the time. And that and right. he, me, that meant that one little nugget that I'm sure he doesn't even remember saying, meant the world to me because i was either in the middle or i was prepping to go and shoot my film and that is exactly what i was doing at my nine to five and just right. to know that nolan had to make his film around his nine to five meant the world you know yeah and yeah it was it, so everything you're talking about it it's interesting to me and i you know i'm you know, I eat it up, but I'm also sure that everyone who's listening needs to hear that because particularly knowing all the filmmakers in DC and, you know, the scene's really underground here and it's always like, you know, <laughs> is, is any of this worth it? Like, is it going to be worth it? And to know that, like, any of it is worth it because you're going to learn something. Um, you just need to get back in, constantly be getting back to it and back to it and back to it. Um, and it is about, you know, yeah, well, it needs to be, it needs, the the trick is it
1: define worth it,
0: right? Sure.
1: Sure. Like, and and that's what my article is about. Like what's, what's worth it to you. Yeah. Right. Is it, and I think at the end of the day, at some point, like you just become a working director. Right. And so part of worth it is like, well, this is now my career. Right. Right. Like in the way that selling insurance or being a CEO or fucking working at McDonald's. Like, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's great. We enjoy it. But like, at some point it's a career, right. And it comes with all the bad stuff that careers come with and all the problems and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's not all glory. Right. But, um, the other side of it is like, you know, it still comes back to this, this idea that like what's compelling you to tell this story? Like, why do you have to tell this story? Because now the world is so full of stories, right. right? It's it's not hard to find movies. Like they're everywhere and everybody's telling them and everyone's making them. And a lot of them are, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm also now in a place where I'm not thinking badly about any, any work anybody's done. Right. But it's right. like, because I think like you got to support the act of making stuff, you know, but, but I think like at the end of the day, there probably should be a filter Of some kind. And I think that because that filter is not going to be, you know, I mean, I don't know who's going to be that filter, but the filter really should be you. And a lot of that should be just like the worth it should be able to being able to tell the story that you feel so compelled to tell. I mean, I, you know, I really felt that on layover, but I felt it much more from the perspective of needing to make a feature. Mm -hmm. you know and then and less than oh this story i have to tell this story right right Right. southland actually became a story where i i written the script and felt so compelled over the years to tell this story i was like if we don't tell the story somebody like real life is going to beat us to it right Right. you know like there's going to become a point where this this story is not necessarily anymore a part of the zeitgeist you know, either because technology changes or because trends change or social media changes, you know, so there's a window in which we can make this movie and have it be sort of relevant, you know, while at the same time, once we make it, if we make it right, then we're not locked into that window any further. Right. But like the interest in making it's going to maybe go away and and feeling so sure that like, oh, I've got to tell this story was sort of one of those first times that I really felt compelled that I've got to sort of, I really want to put this on film and really need to share this. Yeah. You know? Um, and I don't want to back down till I do, you know, and, and it was really a process, you know, of, of continually, I mean, you know, I can't tell you, we'll talk about it on the other podcast. Like I've never experienced a movie that had so many things working against the movie getting made mm-hmm. both from an, from a development perspective, but also productions perspective. I mean every day it seemed like there were battles being fought i mean you know there wasn't a single plane because we shot in oklahoma city there wasn't a single plane carrying an actor or a crew that was not delayed (laughs) at some point (laughs) yeah like just crazy you know crazy stuff and you know and so but you got to be there to fight through it and go this is worth it this is worth it this is worth it and and if you can find that that satisfaction in the work right and that's why i say like to me making the act of making southland for me being on set working with bella working with jake working with amber riley working with every actor frankly on 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 the movie but being able to hold that camera and watch these actors perform like that was it for me. That that was like I mean I there were so many times when I just wanted to keep going just because I wanted to hear them say the words again, yeah. You know, and and that was that was everything to me. And and sort of, you know, now I sort of I'm holding on to that as we get into that same stage that you've been in that everybody's been in when you're like I'm bracing for this, you know, this uh, assembly cut. Yep. Um, to sort of see where we're at and go okay, what what didn't I do? what did I miss? Like, what did I fuck up? Right. And then, and then you got to buckle down and you got to do the hard work of saying, how do we make this great? Like, how do we, how do we get this done? You know? And, and having been there, I'm still scared by it. Right. I'm still challenged by it. And I think you're not, you're probably not like you're a director if you feel that, right. If frankly, if the Coen brothers feel it, then, I think, like, you should feel it, too, you know? Right. And I, I, the difference has been that I've learned to recognize it, mm-hmm. right? So I'm familiar with it, I'm expecting it. And I just know, okay, like, you know, it's probably going to be the worst version of this movie. Let's just get through it. And then usually you go, you know what? Like, even on negative, when I first saw it, I go, oh, actually, it's not that bad. Yeah. It actually is much better than I thought it was going to be, you right. know? yeah. And... And so it just, you know, and then you just have to open yourself creatively to saying, okay, if it is a problem, if it is this, how do we solve this? How do we be, how do we be creative with it? I remember, you know, there was a scene on Be Somebody, um, which was like the first scene that we shot. And it was just like, ugh, just like, you know, all right. Yeah. And it was sort of about this kid, you know, who's like famous and he's being confronted by his mom and all the stuff they have we have to do. And it just wasn't connecting. And I literally said to my editor, I just said, you know what? We got we to gotta sort of redo this scene. We got to rethink this scene. Yeah. You know, and I started going, what if we use cutaways? What if we use, like, we had all these crowd shots in slow motion. I found a couple of crowd shots that had been done, like, after we cut the camera. So none of the crowd was smiling, right? But they were all kind of looking at the camera. And I was just like, what if we use, from a much more subjective perspective, use this to build the pressure and the feeling of intensity and all this stuff that's coming from them? We cut it up more. Right. And like, you know, uh, whether it worked or not, it was still that that perspective of saying, forget about how we shot this and forget about what the script says. Right. Now we're into that movie that we now, you know, we have the movie that we wrote. Then we have the movie that we shot. And now we got to, like, take that movie that we shot. We got to edit it into the movie that's going to be. Right. You know, and so I think like, you know, but that again, that kind of perspective of going, okay maybe this is what I wanted, but what can it be? Yeah. And is that going to be better? The entire ending of Layover was that. I mean, you know, originally she finishes her monologue and then it cuts the next morning and then she gets up and it's just this kind of like montage of her doing stuff. And I had, I did a screening of it and I had a friend of mine who was an editor and a writer. And he came to me and he said, Hey, what if you shifted this whole thing over that montage, over the monologue? I said, Oh, no, I can't do that. I'm not good. you know. And then, you know, we did it. Yeah. And something works. magical happened when we did. Right. You know? Yeah and and it's those kind of accidents and those kind of unexpected again it's discovery yeah you know it's 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 being open to what comes at you and and what you can discover that is going to lead to really interesting things you know if you're if you're sort of open to it so that's sort of you know again it's even with actors like you know you kind of you cast them and you go i don't know what we're gonna get you know and you kind of got to be open to what they bring to it and yet what when you if you are you get something so much more special than you ever could have like just invented in your head. Right. You know, and they're more alive because they're living in a space that they're happy with, you know? And, and, um, and so anyway, it just becomes like about, you know, finding those moments and, and recognizing like what it is and also looking forward to it. Like I'm, you know, as anxious as I am to see the cut and get through that process, I'm also going like, I can't wait to cut this thing. Yeah. You know, I can't wait to be in that problem-solving stage of, like, how do we change this? What do we need to figure out? What's not working? You know, it's 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 what keeps you alive. You know, yeah. it's what makes you feel alive as you're sitting at a computer moving pixels around, you know? Yeah.
0: Um, it's so interesting that, that being, has to be- uh, like, you're anxious, but you're also... <sighs> You, being in a state of discovery is like really it's excitement and anxiety kind of almost at the same time or jumps back and forth, like so quickly. When I made my short film dig, I was, you know, just editing it myself because it's a
1: short film right. and I just started going like, I got, I got so lost in this opening of how to cut it. And I was trying to do it in a linear way and it was struggling and just not working. And I had a friend of mine who was a reality TV producer that we were hanging out with a lot at the time. And, my wife and I were hanging out with him and he's like, oh, I'll take it. Like I'll, I'll mess around with it. And I said, okay. And he took it and he's like, you know, a couple week later later. So he was kind of like, yeah, he's like, listen, I, you know, i I'm an avid guy. I have no idea how final cut works. So I was kind of learning as I go and he kind of shows me something and literally, you know, no offense to him. I'd say of this opening, it was like 99% of it was garbage and unusable right. in terms of the cut but he did one thing that totally unlocked my ability to, to edit the thing, which was like, he took the shot of Mark Margolis, who's sort of the guy being tied up. I don't know if you know the story, but like, you yeah, know, yeah. it was a shot that was like, and I, so I started on that shot and that's yeah. what he did. And I went, oh yeah, I don't have to be linear with this. It's what allowed me to like speed through that process and get it done like quickly. But it was right. that, it took somebody else looking at it differently and going, what if you did this? What if you did this? And doing even like the worst possible job at it. But it still, yeah. it still gave you that, that something to feed off of, you know? Yes. Yeah. So agree. I think you gotta, there's ways of being open to that and sort of embracing it and, and, and those happy accidents, whether it's in life or whether it's in filmmaking or, you know, kind of whatever it is.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Well, um, dude, this, again, like you not only, I think, this has been a great podcast, but it, and I got into so many things that I didn't expect us to get into. But you also just totally made my day, so I want you to know that. Um, oh, no, it's great. It's nice it's, to hear. Uh, it's always great talking with you, Josh. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, you know, you know, you're never going to keep me to an hour, so you know, and you don't I, have to worry about that. I would. Uh, <laughs> I never want to. Um, so if there's, I know you were talking about. We went on a whole spiel of kind of getting away from social media are you is there are there places you want people to go to to follow you your website all of that I mean
1: you know I, I'm mostly on Instagram to be honest um okay. you know people can follow me on Twitter and I post occasionally but I'm largely kind of not there and I mean if you want to see a bunch of fishing pictures like Instagram's the place to go but um yeah. I mean, really like news, I mean, I'm always going to post news or anything big to like Twitter and I still have my account, you know, I'm not giving that up. Yeah. Um, but you know, you can sort of, if you, yeah, if you go to joshua-caldwell.com, like that's a good place to branch out to everything else. Right. Even though
0: it needs to be updated at this point. <laughs> Besides Southland, are there upcoming projects that you're excited about? Or is Southland just the focus right now?
1: Uh, I mean, I'm really just now, Southland's really just the focus. Gotcha. Um, You know, it's really just, uh, yeah, it's
0: just, um, you know, it's just consuming in that way. And so,
1: but, you know, always starting to think about what's next.
0: Is it getting cut down in New York?
1: Uh, My editor is in LA. And then, so he's doing a cut and then he hands it off to me and I do my own cut. Kind of like what uh, we talked about, so oh, okay, okay. yeah, we don't, we don't do the whole couch thing where I sit there and tell him what to do. Gotcha. Okay. I did. But he, and he's the, he's the same editor that's cut my last three features. So like
0: we have that kind of working relationship. Very nice.
1: Is layover yeah.
0: still, um, can people still get layover? I know negative is available on VOD and whatnot. It, um, is yeah. Negative Layovers on, on
1: iTunes, a... Amazon.
0: Sweet. Okay. Yeah it's available on right. all in fact i think it i think if i'm
1: i'm not mistaken it's actually a pretty good deal right now for it mm. so i would
0: uh, i would def, definitely check it out um, we'll put a plug in the show notes so that people can go directly yeah. to uh, rent or buy it both of them
1: oh yeah it looks like uh it uh, looks like 3.99 and 4.99 on amazon and itunes so you know i don't know not bad i think yeah. negative is actually pretty cheap negative might be like a buck 99 right now on amazon so i would definitely check that out
0: Guys, that sounds like one hell of a uh, double feature on a Friday night to me. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, dude. This has been just a conversation like the last one was. But um, I think what you specifically, what you talked about in terms of kind of your personal philosophy and how you're going, how you kind of shifted and um are kind of in this really positive space was just so um it's so enlightening but it's also just takes for me it takes a lot of pressure off of just like hey get focus on the work and do the work and that's all you can do because that is all you can do yes so i really appreciate that yeah you know and and the time will be
1: right for all that other stuff but if you focus on the work all that other stuff will probably come
0: Cool, man. Well, um, we will have you back on to talk about Southland when it uh, is ready to come out and when so, people are ready to see it. Yeah, sounds good. we cool, to talk about on that one. Oh, <laughs> anyway, going to be, that'll be a, well, I'll make sure I'll carve out four hours for that one. Yeah. So. Guys, check out Layover, check out Negative, um, and also check out, um, Josh has a lot of posts on, Uh, Indie Film Hustle and No Film School. I'm going to put those in the show notes. I'd really recommend you reading all those articles because they are just chock full of stuff. So um, guys, make sure you check all that out and have a great week. Hey guys, just want to remind you that not only can you find the Full Frame Podcast on HMD's website, www.hmdfilms.com, but you can find us on Facebook and most importantly, you can find us on iTunes where we would really like if you could leave a review and subscribe. Thanks. Have a great week. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.